The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Dr. Heyman here today. We're so excited. I mean, honestly, this conversation could probably go on for years because this guy, I'm surprised that he's only in his 50s because this is the work of 20 lifetimes. Dr. Heyman is the director of academic affairs for American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. He's responsible for all educational activities and trains thousands of practitioners around the world each year. He is also the fellowship director of integrative medicine at George Washington University and started the first master's degree in integrative medicine at a major university. He has a private practice, which I don't know how he has time for, (laughs) in Virginia, where he specializes in mold exposure in Lyme disease. And since 17 years old, he was trained in traditional medicine, traditional Chinese medicine and manual therapies. And most of his instructors were actually Zen and Tibetan Buddhist monks. He's a strong advocate for a healthy home as they are one of the most overlooked contributors to human illness that includes things like gaining weight, which we none of us like, depression, <laughs> fatigue, memory decline, and hormone imbalances. <sighs> so thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Oh my gosh. So where do we even I, begin? I, mean, I know. First of all, like our listeners are, there's a, there's a lot of women, but we do have a lot of men. A lot of people are interested in the science of longevity, but I kind of want to start on like the mold and Me too. stuff because I just feel like that's one of those things that I recently just learned about. So the way I was introduced to Dr. Heyman was many of you know that I went to the aiming clinic to have my brain scans done. And I'm currently going through some testing to find out if maybe I had some Lyme or mold exposure. Tell us a little bit about like what those symptoms look like and how they often go unchecked. So, you know, the real problem with uh, mold exposure is that it, it mimics all sorts of other problems and really common things. So for me as a, a family physician, I, I look back over the years and I think, boy, how many people did I miss that, mm. you know, were having some sort of mold exposure in their home and just didn't know it? Um, the common symptoms are, are fatigue, sort of brain fog, depression, anxiety, difficulty sleeping at night. But there's a huge inflammatory and, and, and metabolic consequence. So one of the most common things is actually weight gain. And people will gain 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds. And no matter what they do, exercise, diet, they just can't quite get it off. It, it's one of the uh, most, I think, problematic things that people face with this. And, and it's really disheartening for them when they make yeah. a big effort. And nothing, nothing really changes. How but then the problems go even deeper. You know, they get all sorts of other issues, too. Yeah. And like if that goes unchecked, can it lead to detrimental life threatening problems? I don't know about life threatening, but certainly life altering and permanently life altering. Some of the research that we've done has shown that if the exposure is is long enough and the inflammation is large enough, it will damage your brain over time. And actually, it starts to look like a traumatic brain injury. So people start to lose their memory. They lose their focus and concentration. Their mood is typically all over the place. This is an incredibly insidious illness and one that is, I think, one of the biggest failures of of primary care and public health. To to say that we just don't look at the the health of our home as a vital sign is, uh, you know, amazing to me. Yeah. And what other things in the home contribute to illness that we might not know about? I think furniture. So the off-gassing of chemicals and compounds like VOCs, for example, can make people really sick. We know this happens over months and months, especially for new furniture. It can cause headaches and fatigue and brain fog and mood disturbances as well. That's one of the other big ones. And 
it's this conundrum where people say, gosh, I got to get out of my old home with mold. And then they move into a new one that's full of chemicals. Oh, my mm. gosh. Stop. And, it, and are you talking about like chemicals. the sprays that go on furniture so that they don't stain easily? Okay, Correct. I think I have that. Because <laughs> I have little kids. So I'm like, I always get the like fabric protector. Yeah. Type. And and how do you test for that? How do you, you know, if someone comes into your office and they say, you know, I have a lot of headaches. I, I personally suffer from migraines. How do you test and find that, you know, mold or chemicals in the house are the source? Yeah. So good. that's a good question. And it's, it's, a, it's a bit involved, but basically we're chasing inflammation and there are different ways that we do that. So when we're testing the person, we have them do a very specialized visual test online. It takes about 10 minutes. It was developed by the military and it's a color-based test and people lose their ability to discriminate different colors when their brain is really inflamed and they tend to fail the test. If they fail it and it sounds like they're being exposed, we can go deeper. And so we do some blood work. We look at very special markers in the blood, but ultimately we have a research lab and we actually measure how different genes are turning on and off in the body. It's genomics and genes do this all the time normally. But if they're not doing it in the correct way, instead of, as I say, developing melody and harmony at the gene level, it's just noise and that drives illness. And we can measure that now. We know the genes that turn on for an exposure. We know the genes that turn on for mold. We can see the body becoming really disordered in a very predictable way. And then the final test is the brain scans that we do. And we've been able to show that the brain becomes injured in a very predictable pattern. Wow. That actually reminds me that I have an email right now from the Amen Clinic that I'm supposed to take this test. And, he, and it seems like a pretty simple test, right? It's just like you're looking at the the colors or the lines. It's the inflammation that's test. Right. How long does that's it right. take to do that? 10 minutes. It's a quick test. Wow. That's crazy yeah. how far we've come. But it's like it seems like such an easy like thing to do and people just don't know about it. It's so interesting yeah. too, because you mentioned inflammation and we talked to, we we're very fortunate enough to talk to a lot of doctors and people in the wellness field. And just in my own research, everything, like the root cause of anything bad sounds like it's inflammation. Is that correct? It is for almost every chronic illness. But, but the reason why this one is so insidious is that if you talk to any normal allergist or immunologist and you say, hey, I've got a patient with a mold exposure and they say, oh, that just causes an allergy. They don't recognize that it can also cause deep inflammation. And we've been chasing that idea for many, many years. It turns out there are different kinds of inflammation in the body and the standard markers for inflammation are all normal in mold. This is what has, you know, created this illness that feels like a ghost in a sense. It took us a long time to figure out the part of the immune system that was reliably generating this very specific kind of inflammation. And then all the pieces fell into place, even why it damages the brain over time. Wow. And is this just like black mold? Because that's the only kind of mold I've ever heard about that's bad. <laughs> is there other kinds? Yeah. So, you know, when people refer to black mold, sometimes they're thinking of stachybotrys or other types of mold. It turns out that there are a number that can you know, lead to this kind of inflammation. But one of the things that has been surprising over the last couple of years in our research, especially when we look at the different genes that are turning on and off, is that when we found the genes for mold, we also found a different set of genes that were turning on even more frequently, and we didn't know why. We said, okay, this is a group that's reacting to their home, but not to mold. 
And you might have think, oh, maybe that's the VOCs or chemicals. It turns out that there's bacteria that also grows in the home, just like mold does. And we didn't know it was there. And in our data sets, it looks like only about 7 or 8% of people react to mold and up to 40% or more react to this bacteria. And we think they're working together to make people really sick. This has been a huge breakthrough for us, actually. Okay, guys, it is the end of football season. I just got back from the insane Niners playoff game. And we are going to the Super Bowl, baby, which means I am already planning ahead for Super Bowl Sunday. If there is one thing that my friends and I love to do on the weekend, and maybe sometimes during the week, who am I kidding? It's an ice cold seltzer. I've gone away from the hard stuff and I've really loved the crispiness of an ice cold hard seltzer. So truly believes life can be more refreshing when we can be real, let loose, embrace imperfection and allow ourselves to be free from convention. That's why Truly has something for everyone and more than 30 unique flavors, including three lightly flavored mix packs, berry and a new party pack. What's great about the party pack, which is kind of my go-to of bringing to other people's houses, is that there's really a flavor for everyone, making it perfect for you and your friends. And if you want to know a trick, aside from football, something that I love to do before a date night or I'm getting ready to go with friends is I bring a truly into the shower. Yes, there is something to be said about getting ready for the night, having a shower, blasting some Nelly, and having a truly in the shower, getting your night started on the right foot. So to find Truly Hard Seltzer near you, go to trulyhardseltzer.com slash locations. That's trulyhardseltzer.com slash locations. Truly Hard Seltzer. Keep it light. Truly, hard seltzer beverage company, Boston, Massachusetts. Please drink responsibly. And let's go Niners! Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman. My first book, The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans, is out now. In this book, I've wanted to quiet all the noise that's out there and distill the science into five core principles. And using those principles, you can solve absolutely any parenting challenge, giving you the confidence to raise good humans. Order now and give yourself a little bit of ease. So what are things that people can do actively in their home, whether they need to add this to their home or subtract it from their home? What are things that we could actively do to make our home safer? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's not just kind of cleaning the home. It's a very specific kind of strategy. And number one, dust is the enemy Mm. because the mold forms and the bacteria accumulate on dust. Mm. And our patients think we're crazy when we ask them, to literally HEPA vacuum clean their mattress. Oh. Because it turned, yeah. So it turns out the mattress, it looks like, is ground zero for dust and the growth of these microbes. And then we have them spread out from there and clean the master bedroom. And we have them wipe down the walls and clean the floors and clean all the clothing. And we call that the inner sanctum. So it turns out, referring back to the bacteria, not only does it grow on dusty surfaces, it also grows on your skin. Mm, lovely. So wherever you <laughs> go in the house, 
it tends to accumulate. So not only are we having people attack where they spend a lot of time, but we also have them do special hygiene regimens to get rid of this stuff from their skin. Oh my gosh. I feel like a piece of fruit. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm moldy. I'm dusty. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, I don't want to be yeah. any of these things. Well, and, and, something, and something to note, because I just learned about this, is that not all cleaning products are created equal. Not, they, they might clean, but they're not antibacterial. Those are two separate things, correct? Yeah. In fact, we tested that. So we did these patch tests on the wall to try and figure out what was the best cleaning solution for these types of issues. And it turns out, the best was very simply water with some vinegar. That's what I thought you were going to say. And seventh generation dish, dish detergent or any sort of all natural dish yeah. detergent. Okay. Because of this, you know. The problem with that is that vinegar is not that expensive. So I don't think the companies right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody, no, nobody likes this. Right? Yeah. Well, and then I kind yeah. of want to shift over to food because I know you, you know a lot about food and how it affects the brain and, and aging because I actually just started with the berries that we get the berries and we get the vinegar and the baking soda to clean off the berries because the bacteria can be on, grow on the food and mm-hmm. it can grow consistently even after you've bought it and it's in your refrigerator, correct? That's true. Although I would say oral um, sources of mold are less problematic okay. Interesting. than the inhaled version. Foods can cause all sorts of inflammation as well, actually a different kind than mold does, but we're very aware of that too. We're always thinking about what are the engines of inflammation in a person's life? Is it their home? Is it their diet? Is it their hormonal balance? Is it stress? There's all sorts of ways that the body can become inflamed, but the house is a big one. Right. Wow. So, okay. So if we can clean our house with the vinegar, what if we just like take shots of vinegar throughout the day? Then are we like demolding our system? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, the best thing is sort of, you, you know, you want to de-inflame how your do we, system. Okay. How do, so if how you're do looking we do for that? foods that do that, yeah. and I know these are not necessarily very appealing, the best one that we have found are okra and beets. Okra and beets. Oh my God. Okra, that's so random. And um, you guys, what just popped in my head was when Trump was like, just yeah. drink some uh, Windex. Remember when he was yeah. saying that during COVID? Uh, we are not saying to do that. This is not what we're promoting. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, you know, if you ever cook with okra or, or eat beets, you know, they're very thick and even what we call mucilaginous, right? Mm-hmm. There's almost gooey. Mm-hmm. That's the substance that actually grabs onto the inflammation and pulls it out of the body. Yeah, it's like, like sliminess that people don't Slimy. really like, but I like no. beets because they taste yeah. like dirt. I, I love beets. I honestly <laughs> right. love them. So yeah. what, and I, okay, so I have so many questions because I want to learn more about ancient Chinese medicine. Yes, so I love if, if you can, medicine. Yes, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in like the holistic approach. I'm a firm believer in colonics. I just started acupuncture. So tell us right. real quickly about your background there because I know you trained with monks, right? Oh, and I want to know- well, where we can go and what are some tools in ancient Chinese medicine? If you're like, okay, try these three things. They're going to make your life better. So, you know, I was 17 years old. I was a freshman in college and I was introduced to Chinese medicine almost by accident. It was by another student. And I literally felt like I was struck by lightning. It was a moment in my life where she showed me some techniques and I felt like something opened up inside a doorway that I didn't know I had. And it changed me forever. I, I can almost see uh, my entire professional future. And wow. I knew in that moment what I was meant to do. What was it? What did she do? So she was teaching a Tai Chi class, which you might know is just yep. sort of a, a movement type approach to energy. It's very beautiful and it's based in a martial art. And one day she said, how are you feeling? I said, well, I'm a little achy. I play rugby. 
and you know, my back hurts. And she said, great. Well, why don't you lay down on your stomach and I'm going to do some acupressure. And I'm like, what's that? She's like, well, it's really something called shiatsu. I'm like, what's that? And she said, it's Japanese. And it, she means finger and atsu means pressure. I said, okay. She's like, it's like a massage. I said, well, that sounds good. So she starts pressing on me and stretching me and walking on me. And I thought, well, this doesn't feel like any massage I've ever had. You know, there's no rubbing and anything Mm -hmm. like that, but it it felt amazing. And I was like, what is this? And she said, well, it's Japanese, but it's based in traditional Chinese medicine. And it goes back thousands of years. And that was my moment. I really felt like I was struck by lightning, literally. I went to the college library and pulled some books and all this stuff and started reading about it. And kind of three weeks later, I emerged and I said, this is me. This is what I need to do. So I called my parents and I had found a teaching program near the college. And I said, I want to enroll. And they said, we've never trained someone as young as you. Are you ready? You know, almost like young grasshopper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Wax on, wax and off. I, and, I, and I said, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And I called my parents and I negotiated with them and they said, we'll pay for half. And I said, fine, I'll get a job. And, you know, my father's favorite line, because I, I did not go into college thinking I would do anything like that. And he's like, what the hell is a Jew from the suburbs doing wanting to learn Chinese? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you know? this is not how we raise so. <laughs> I, I don't know that. I, I have no idea, but I, I feel like I need to do this. And it was funny because every Tuesday night, I'd go to my little Chinese medicine clinic and I'd meditate and I'd do yoga and I, and we'd have to do things like group therapy and art therapy. And they really were into this idea that if you're not fully present and mindful and aware and compassionate, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. So we had to kind of cultivate that within ourselves to be as sensitive for another person as we could be. And it was amazing because I had these incredible monks from Tibet and Japan and China who took me under their wing. And I transformed over time. But it was very funny because I was playing rugby on Saturdays <laughs> and then going to my little Chinese medicine clinic. Yeah. Tuesdays, and telling and none of your friends, always, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I joked I was always going from retox to detox. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, That's how I lived week. my life for many years. But I, I totally yeah. relate because I practice transcendental meditation and and I found yoga at a very young age. And just the idea of like physically opening up our body through our breath and actually like physical manipulation it's so yeah. kind of foreign to this Western medicine. It's like, here, just take a pill. And I I know that you work with the meridians. Like, is that, can you talk a little bit about what the meridians are? Sure. I, you know, and I'll back up just a little bit because, you know, you think about 3000 years ago, they didn't have a CT scanner. Mm-hmm. They didn't have an EKG machine. I couldn't do blood labs. There was nothing really, quote, objective about how you could evaluate an individual. So by virtue of you opening up your energy and opening up your mind and becoming more aware and present, you become the CT scanner, you Uh, become the EKG mm, machine and your presence and your openness is what allows you to gather all that additional information that isn't normally available to the conscious mind. Wow. Yeah. Right. They would test me. They would make sure that I could slip into that state before they would teach me any. Technique. Yeah, we were just talking to some other doctor yesterday who was saying something similar, but without a solution, really, of just being <laughs> like, you know, our our bodies can't tell us what they what's wrong with it. We just have to wait for a symptom. But it sounds like you don't maybe need to wait for a no. symptom. 
You don't. So, you know, as you're saying, well, what about these meridians? What, what is that? So one of the novelties of Chinese medicine is this recognition that the surface of the body is somehow energetically and deeply connected to the interior. And that there are these nodal points or acupuncture points or acupressure points, all the same thing, that line the surface of the skin. And each one has a responsibility or a characteristic that if stimulated, is able to influence a process inside the body. And if you string a number of these related points together across the surface, it's called a meridian. So there are 12 meridians, and each of the 12 has its own sort of identity or set of influences internally. The idea was at the time, spiritually, it was considered anathema or rejected to cut open the body. And so they didn't have a sense of what physically was on the interior the way we do now. So they had to develop other ways to try and change how the body functions externally. And that's how they came up with the idea of acupuncture, that if you insert needles into the surface of the skin, you could control those functions without having to be invasive. I can attest to this. It's a beautiful idea and it's amazing. It is because I was with my, I just had my third child. I'm a very holistic person and I went to an Asian foot spa. And I would go initially to... I feel like that's going to be a blip, right? I'm a very holistic person. That's why I go to Asian foot spots. Well, no, yeah. Well, no, because I I went and at first it was to relax because I was uncomfortable. And then I go in one day and I was over being pregnant. And I go, I told her, I said, put me into labor. She's like, I got you. I went into labor that night. Really? Yep. She's she told me with the where she was pressuring on, the on my foot. She said you will go into labor. Tonight. I do lo- like the foot reflexology. If you ever seen a map of that, and I'm it's like I half don't believe it because I'm just like, are right, you telling me the bottom of my foot is like tells me all this about me? I don't know. Well, and yes. question because I'm I'm kind of obsessed lately to live forever. You know, I'm looking into these century on cities and it's always I don't know the specific island and community in Asia, but what Okinawa, is it? Japan. Yeah. What is it with with the Asian culture that they have a much longer life expectancy than most other you know, communities? Uh, well, that that gets into just kind of longevity in general mm-hmm. and maybe zones in yes. particular. Right. So this notion that there are locations around the world where there are long-lived populations. And Okinawa is one. There are others like Ikaros in Greece, and you know there's a variety of them. Mm-hmm. But originally, we thought it was all diet. And we said, oh, they must all eat the same diet. It turns out they all eat different diets. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. Some are veggie-based. Yep. But when you throw in a bunch of other factors about how these communities approach life, and stress, and community, and movement, and breathing, it all starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing is a lot of them fast. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they take breaks from eating as well. And that's sort of naturally built into uh, their schedule. Uh, we don't fast in our culture at all. We tend to, of course, overeat. Mm-hmm. And I think that giving the body a break uh, is a really good thing. In fact, when you look at what happens when you fast, all these protective genes turn on. We're designed to live in times of famine. We are not designed to live with too much food. Our bodies don't handle that very well, but we actually thrive when we take a break from food and Mm. really good things tend to happen. And that's one of the themes we see in some of these blue zones. Do you find that there's an optimal time to fast? Another great debate. 
You guys have good questions. So <laughs> well, we're we're into this, <laughs> yes. and I've tested fasting, and I, I we're big with like David yeah. Sinclair, and 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 like yeah. that that sort of. Sure. And you know, there's yeah. different. I know some people who only fast for you know they eat for one hour a day. Some people have right. that you know 16 hour window. Yeah. Based on what you've seen, what do you think is the most beneficial? I, you know, I, I think that you know the enemy of good is better, and people tend to overdo things. Mm-hmm. And I think I like you that. can have you know intermittent fasting. You can have caloric restriction. You can be on you know the different regimens. Am I eight hours off, or twelve hours off, or fourteen hours off? I think people need to play with it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we see with fasting, if it's done too often, is that the gut starts to break down and the body actually becomes too inflamed. The gut needs to be fed. And there are certain components of the diet, especially certain kinds of starches that if not present, will begin to alter the milieu of the gut. And we can begin to see problems arise as a result. So Fasting is okay. You know, if you want to take off a day a week or kind of compress your schedule a few days a week, I think all that's fine, but you can overdo it too. And people can really, you know, strip their health as well. Okay. So fasting, so that that's going to make us live longer. What else you got for us? (laughs) Have you, have you ever ever read the book, (laughs) the monk who sold his Ferrari? I've heard it. I've been read it, but I've I highly it. suggest it's one of my favorite books of all time. It's, it talks all about exactly what you're not, well, not just fasting, but just like he goes and he meets this monk who changes his life completely. And he teaches him through breath work and everything you're about to talk about. Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll let you take the reins on this and how to live a long, long life through the, through these values. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, another area of my work and interest is stress. And, you know, we, we kind of throw that term around all the time. Right. And in, in medical school, you talk about it a little bit, but not a lot. And usually it's through the frame of depression or anxiety, but we don't sort of address stress directly medically. And even though there are ways to measure it and there are antidotes to it, but ongoing stress is one of the most harmful things to the body. And I think having mechanisms to reset and to improve vagal tone to decrease inflammation, because that's what happens when you're under stress, your body becomes inflamed. I was just going to angle tone. I was just going to ask like when you're under stress, what physically is happening on the insides of your yeah. body that causes, you know, disease and heart attacks and all these things, what's actually happening when you're under stress? Yeah. Good question. So basically there are two components to the stress response. There's the nervous system side, which we call the autonomic nervous system. And that starts to rev everything up. So it makes the heart go faster. It improves peripheral vision. It actually improves cardiac output and strengthens the muscles, but it also turns down certain other systems of the body that you don't need under times of stress. So our hormones become suppressed. You don't need to reproduce. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, you don't need any more kids. (laughs) You don't need any more kids, right? You don't need to make love when you're running from the tiger. And and, and the same thing, you know, that digestion turns down. You don't stop and eat a sandwich when you're running from the tiger, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So the body's so smart and it's designed to protect the life of the individual. And the other side of the coin are hormones, the main one being cortisol. And cortisol contributes to all of those changes that are adaptive. The problem is, is that the system is designed to turn on and then turn off and turn on and turn off. But if you do that too many times, and we're running from our daily paper tigers, Mm. the things that are adaptive inside the body, the elevated heart rate, the increased cardiac output, the output of cortisol becomes damaging. 
And cortisol in particular is called a catabolic hormone. So what that means is that it's a type of hormone that will break tissue down. And we know that wherever there's cortisol receptors that are concentrated in the body, if you saturate that tissue for too long, that organ or that tissue starts to become damaged. And one of the areas of the body that has the highest levels of cortisol is the brain. Mm -hmm. And we can see when people are overly stressed for too long a period of time, they have brain damage. And the area is called the hippocampus. And we know the hippocampus shrinks over time. And that's our memory center. So people start losing their memory. They start losing their access to important memories. They start making bad decisions in life. They lose their coping skills because stress damages the brain. Wow. So what can we do to be proactive rather than reactive, right? To protect our brain health. What are some, some tools or supplements and vitamins that we can do to take care of our brain? So we talked about a little bit, you said, Hey, what's this vagal tone stuff. Mm -hmm. So in the nervous system, you have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic and the sympathetic is what sort of drives all the activity. It increases the heart rate and increases cardiac function and kind of turns everything on when you're under times of stress and the parasympathetic, which a big component of that is what's called the vagal nerve is the one that turns it all off. And it allows us to go into that deep state of relaxation. And so breathing techniques and quieting the mind improves parasympathetic tone. And what's interesting is that if you're of high sympathetic tone and really stressed, that actually stimulates inflammation. When you Mm -hmm. quiet the mind and slow the breath and you turn on the parasympathetic system and, and increase vagal tone, guess what? Inflammation levels go down. So learning to take a break and to slow the breath is one way that we do it. Interestingly, also every herbal tradition around the world, whether it's Chinese medicine, Ayurveda from India, East Asia, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, they all had one or two herbs that they thought were magical. And you've probably heard of ginseng, Mm -hmm. right? From China. But every herbal tradition has something like a ginseng. Mm -hmm. In Japan, it was cordyceps. In Southeast Asia, it's maca. And in Eastern Europe, it's rhodiola. In India, it was ashwagandha. I have every single one of these supplements (laughs) in my cupboard. (laughs) And, and, and And they're all interesting in that they're all called adaptogens. And they all help the body adapt to stress. But if you look at where they work, they all primarily protect the brain against stress. That's so funny. I had yeah. trouble getting pregnant. I, don't, I had a lot of miscarriages and and it was so funny because I did so much of my own research and all of the, the research is like, well, you know, obviously FDA doesn't have anything to say about it, but it shows that if you take maca or if you take ashwagandha or if you take ginseng, then you'll have a better chance of getting pregnant. It just makes sense what you said because it's like, okay, well, if it's, if it's fixing your stress, it's telling your body maybe you are in a place to reproduce. Yeah, that makes right. so much sense. I, I have kind of two hot take questions because these are popular and I, I'm just interested in your opinion. What are your thoughts? Because this is kind of a new trend I'm sure you've heard of with the brain, microdosing mushrooms. What are your thoughts on that? Uh-huh. So at my university, George Washington University, a few weeks ago, we actually held a whole conference, an all-day-long conference on mushrooms. You guys were on mushrooms or the the topic was mushrooms? I actually think some of the presenters were on mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. But, you know, we had Paul Paul Stamets, who obviously, you know, he did Fantastic Fungi. 
Uh, He presented and we we had Andy Weil open the conference and we had a number of the psilocybin researchers from Hopkins who've done tremendous work on, on the subject. And there is no denying that, you know, access to these substances uh, can be life altering and sometimes with one dose. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I say um, this because I started recently microdosing mushrooms. I'm, I'm a huge fan. My personal, how I describe it to people, I describe it as both sides of my brain working together for the utmost clarity. It's a it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Anytime I'm lost or I have a question or I know there's something I need to address, I microdose and really? it's boom. Well, I so I because I had postpartum like catastrophic anxiety, I'm on a low dose of Zoloft, which is an SSRI. And I think because it works on the serotonin in the brain, it, like the mushroom, is it have you heard anything about this? The mushrooms like you don't get the effect of it. You don't. So it 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 works through different pathways. And it's, it's literally like hitting the reset button for the brain. Mm-hmm. It, it's extraordinary. And what was really fascinating to me, if you watch that movie, The Fantastic Fungi, they also talked about anthropological research where some of the breakthroughs in human development and sort of human society appear to coincide with use of the mushrooms, that there's deep insight that people are able to derive. And you mentioned clarity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the, the benefits that individuals derive from, from using these kinds of compounds, that somehow it gives access to a part of our mind that isn't normally accessible. And there's some sort of intuition and, and insight mm-hmm. that occurs as a result that can be incredibly profound. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I wouldn't say I microdosed, but like when I took it before, it's like it's almost like the line between you and nature gets blurred. So you start to feel more connected and, and a part of things, which is an amazing feeling. But I also feel like the next day I'm depleted of something like I don't feel 100 percent. But that could just be me being paranoid. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? That could just be you. Yeah, because or- <laughs> I was like, I feel amazing. <laughs> like, that's a you problem. That's a you problem. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Another hot take. I know we talk about the brain and aging. What are your thoughts on human growth hormones? If you're someone who wants that fountain of youth, because you know, hear of H3H for men and women as the fountain of youth. What is it? Yeah. I know it's kind of a hot topic. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it, it's something that we've looked at very closely over years. So one of the hats that I wear is, you know, as you mentioned before, the director of academic affairs for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And and we are responsible essentially for training physicians all over the world on regenerative and longevity therapies and hormones, uh, you know, being a part of that narrative and growth hormone for many years Mm -hmm. was thought to be the fountain of youth. And, you know, like everything, there's always too much of a good thing. And I think growth hormone can be overdone, although I also think it's probably underutilized. And, you know, I think it can be applied to extend quality of life, to improve body composition, to improve uh, cardiac health and brain health. You know, there's a lot of good data on growth hormone, but it sits behind a barrier and it's very hard to prescribe. You know, there are lots of sort of legal issues around recommending growth hormone, and it's hard necessarily to get access to it. But I do think that, you know, there is some real value to to growth hormone. The other part is it can be 
incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it puts it out of reach for, for most people, unfortunately. Yeah. And on that topic, because I feel like we always, we give such great advice a lot of times, but then people are always like, well, you say that because you can afford it. But like, what, a, you no, know, I can't <laughs> for the average person. What do you think is like the number one thing you can do for your health and longevity and your brain? That's that yeah. is not does not cost a lot of money. And don't say drink water. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of moving. Okay. I think people don't move enough. Mm-hmm. And one of my prescriptions to patients is very simply walking 45 minutes and keeping their heart rate between 120 and 130 beats. Okay. I don't want them going harder than that. And I don't want them going slower than that. There is a sweet spot and this builds metabolic resiliency. It decreases inflammation and man, does it burn fat. Wow. You cannot imagine that that sweet spot And if you can do 45 minutes, three or four days a week, you will see incredible changes that alone can really, you know, improve a person's quality of life and extend their longevity. The converse of that, of course, is rest and sleep. People don't sleep well. And, you know, we really need to get a good seven to nine hours of consistent and deep sleep. Many people have trouble either falling asleep or staying asleep. It's very fractured or not deep and restorative. So I work a lot on my patients because if you're not sleeping, it means you've got brain inflammation mm. and we need to do something about that to quiet the mind and decrease that inflammatory drive in the brain. And wow. a lot of it, not all of it, but I think some of it we don't realize is in our control. I hear all the time, oh, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. And it's like, you got the phone in your face scrolling. You know, it, what do you, what are your thoughts on screen time before bed or whether it's uh, a TV or a phone? You know, there's lots of data on this, especially in children. Mm-hmm. And they're overexposed to screen time. And it's now, you know, there's a big study that just potentially links it to neurodevelopmental issues and focus and concentration and behavior. We are overstimulating kids, but we're overstimulated as well. Mm. And, you know, I, I recommend trying to turn that off at least an hour before bedtime, you know, giving your brain literally a break, mm-hmm. you know, cause a lot of my patients, they fall asleep with their phone in their hand. That's oh, crazy. Yeah. No, I know. I, I'm, I wake up. 3 a.m. every single night and I check my phone every single morning. I right. check my phone. It's just like, I know I shouldn't do it, but it's nice to hear that. Like, okay, we're supposed to be walking. We're supposed to be sleeping. Can I, can like, I, just, I feel like, uh, cause I do like Barry's boot camp, And if it like, if I don't, if I can walk out of there comfortably, like I feel like I didn't do it good enough. I just, can right. I tell you, it's a breath of fresh air yeah. to talk to a doctor who's like, you need to address what you eat. The, like the herbs and the supplements you take to walk, yeah. to stretch, you know, open up those hips and those stressors. Like I just feel today it, it's, it's unfortunate. Cause I know people, there's people like me and Aurora who are like, we'll try anything, you know, right. let's yeah. do it. Then there's yeah. people who are like, I will only do it if it's studied back from Harvard. And the doctor yeah. says, I need this pill. And that's what he says. So that's what I'll do. And I'm like, mm, right. like my dad just had a heart attack. And he's like, well, I have to go on a blood thinner. I'm like, well, maybe you should stop eating shit. And get right. some good sleep and drink more than a cup of water a day. Yeah. You know, but, but what do you, so this whole American, like no pain, no gain mentality, how do you feel about like high intensity interval training, hardcore workouts? I, I work with, I have the privilege of working with a lot of professional athletes and you know, they, it's, it, what's interesting to me is that if you look at someone who's very sedentary and doesn't eat well and doesn't sleep well and is under a lot of stress, their body becomes very inflamed. Their blood sugar tends to go up. They have a lot of hormonal issues and they don't feel well. They're tired and they tend to gain a lot of weight. 
if you look at an athlete and you measure their metabolism, if they are overtrained, if they've done too much hit training and high intensity work, guess what? They look just like that sedentary person. Wow. And we know, so, and you've probably seen this if you, you know, if, you, if you've been around professional athletes, what happens to them when they stop training? They, they become depressed. <laughs> they get depressed and they blow up. They get yes. fat. Yeah, they yeah. get fat. They get fat yeah. almost yeah. immediately. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Because all that training stopped and it reveals that metabolic disruption that was hiding underneath. Oh. And so there's a danger of overdoing. And I see this all the time in my, my population. So we tend to follow heart rate. So we want to know what your baseline heart rate is in the morning. If it's five beats above normal when you wake up, you're getting overtrained. If it's 10 beats or more, we stop for a day or two. If it's more than that, they got to take a few days off. Oh, I got to, I feel like I need Christian to watch this. (laughs) Yeah. We got to help them recover. I mean, it's amazing to me how many professional athletes, they don't know how to eat well. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to rest. They don't know how to recover. So true. They and they have the best of the best at their I, fingertips. Yeah. I mean, no one's telling they, them. They, this. Well, and I have well, a question. They do, but they don't. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, they have like orthopedic surgeons and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But do they have professionals that really understand metabolism? Mm-hmm. You can break metabolism through overtraining. They don't have that. And they, they're they're still at most of the times very young where they think almost like, oh, like I'm, I look good. So I'm fine. Like yeah. the amount of my husband played professional football and he would come home. He's crazy with his diet, but he'd be like, oh, yeah, so and so just eating McDonald's every day. The guy has That's a six right. pack, but now he's retired. That six pack ain't there anymore. It <laughs> yeah. Itself. yeah, it's a one pack. I, actually, yeah. on the professional athletes, any athlete, they don't have to be, you know, an elite. What are your yeah. thoughts with the brain and the CTE? And oh. the inflammation of the brain that's being caused. Because people ask me all the time, will your kids play football? I said, if they want to play football, they will not be hitting until high school, which still scares yeah. me. But what's your, what's yeah. kind of your thoughts on that? Oh, well, I got a lot of thoughts yeah. on that. <laughs> Basically, for me, there's the the trinity of what I worry about with um, contact sports and, and professional athletes and also my special operator population like Navy SEALs. Yeah. There are three forces that I worry about. One are the concussive events that shake the jello, right? So when you have a vector force and they get hit in the head and the brain sloshes around and it bounces off the inside of the skull and it, it literally twists and stretches the brain tissue Ooh. and you get tearing and shearing of the nerves. And we call it a primary injury when there's the initial hit and then there's the secondary injury, which is the ongoing inflammation that's established after that first event. And so there can be this perpetual injury, low-grade inflammation that occurs after concussion. So they they have a risk for that. Now, what else did we talk about? Stress. We know stress can overwhelm and injure the brain as well. And when we do specialized brain scans, we can see the overlap between the changes from a traumatic brain injury and the changes from stress. And then what's the third one? Their environment. If they're training in moldy facilities, I've got a, you know, pr- professional figure skaters who've been in and out of moldy ice rinks oh, their whole yeah. lives. Guess what? Their brains are melting. Wow. They don't form at their highest level. I've got one guy who was like, I won the silver at the Olympics and I never felt well. He said, if I had known back then what I know now, and if I had been treated properly, I would have won gold. Wow. But I never got to that last 1% yeah. 
because I could feel my body resisting the trains that I had to work five times as hard as all my other competitors just to operate at that highest level. So when you talk about the impact on the brain, I think about stress, I think about concussive events, and I think about the environments in which they're living and training and competing. If you add all three, their brains will really take a hit. And I think something I'm, I'm happy that people are talking about mental health more, but I'm seeing it firsthand with people that we've played with that I know mentally beyond the physical aspect of the brain, like you talked about, like the inflammation and the stressors, I'm seeing borderline schizophrenia. I'm seeing a lot of real, you look at them, you're like, there's a couple guys. I'm like, I'm very worried. I'm going to get that phone call. I have friends, my husband's friends. I think he's had like eight teammates commit suicide, but it's reversible, right? Am I right on this? Yeah, I think it's potentially reversible. You know, we, we, I work with a lot of very unique high extract compounds. So for example, we talked, remember we talked about ginseng mm-hmm. yeah. and we said that's an adaptogen and it, it, you know, it falls in that category of protecting stress and protecting the brain. Well, what our research group does is we look for the more potent versions of that. So for example, there's an isolate from Chinese ginseng that we pulled from ginsenicides. So ginsenicides are the active compounds in ginseng and there's the RB line and the RG line. So there's RB1 and RB2 and RB3, and then there's RG1 and RG2 and RG3 and RG4. It turns out RG1 and RG3 are the most brain protective of all the compounds in Chinese ginseng. And we now take RG3 and put it in a nasal spray and we squirt it up people's noses to protect their brain and get them to heal after injury. It is magical. Yeah, that's amazing. What does one of those go for? <laughs> well, it's, you know, unfor- right now, unfortunately, it's a, it's actually a prescription. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's not expensive. It's like a hundred bucks a month or so. Okay. I have a patient who was in a coma for 14 months. He's 40. He was 40 years old. His heart stopped. And I had been contacted by his family. He actually lives just north of, of LA. And they had heard about my work through the grapevine. And they said, this is a last ditch effort. We have brought our son to UCLA and all these other smart, you know, neurologists in the area. And everybody's saying he's done. You know, if he's a vegetable after 14 months, he's never waking up. So we started treating him with these special nasal sprays. And in 10 days, he woke up. <gasps> I cry. Oh, my God. That's what the, pow- the, the power of just medicine and the power. Like people forget our bodies are machines. We are yeah. meant to well, go into fight Did he regain like, like function? So, so by the end of the second month, he was responding to commands. So wow. he said, Josh, move your leg. And he would move his leg. And then after several more months, he uttered his first word. Wow. And, and also, what do you God, think that first word was? Thank you. Mom. Hi. Mama. <laughs> Mom. Mama. Oh, my God. I Dude, knew it was your Okay, I'm going to cry. Stop. This is um, too good. We are not telling you to snort ginseng. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not saying that. But, um, this is I've amazing. Seen, look, I've seen miracles. And, and so to me, those sorts of treatments represent the best of, you know, sort of ancient medicine with advanced science. And there's that. this area that's being overlooked right now that we need to investigate more deeply because there aren't the same answers in drugs. We have to honor what came before us. We have to honor all of that healing knowledge that is spread around the world. And we can certainly amplify it and understand it and intensify it. But there's so many gems out there like psilocybin and RG3 and all these other compounds that are just being overlooked and dismissed. 
I wow. Feel like we need to like I, I feel like we need to close on that note yeah, because it's yeah. too good. And, no, and I'm crying. Kristen you know, cries a lot. I've cried like <laughs> three times today, but that one got me. And I, I'm a yeah. firm believer in everything you're saying. I have learned so much. Yeah. Like wow. an incredible amount of information. So thank you so much. Yeah, I feel much. like our listeners are gonna love all of this. Yeah, like we're just getting going. I know. <laughs> we're going to have to have a part two. Yeah. <laughs> you can do a part two. That's I love, love that. Yeah. Uh, well, amazing. So where can we find you and where can we find your work? And like if our listeners want to, you know, learn more. Sure. So, you know, I, I have my clinic, the Virginia Center for Health and Wellness. I'm very lucky. It's this it's this little house in the countryside. It's on four acres and a pond in front. Wow. And, you know, it's it's lovely. And he walks the walk of the no yeah. stress. Yeah. But, you know, you can also find my work at, at George Washington University at our program there. And, of course, the American Academy of, of Anti-Aging Medicine. And then the, the last piece, which we didn't mention, is my work with what's called the Metabolic Code. And the Metabolic Code is a, is a digital platform that we developed. And what it does is you can do blood work and answer some questions. And all of your data is run through about 40,000 algorithms. And it begins to identify automatically what are the areas where your health is really challenged. Oh. And then the platform goes on to generate a personalized wellness plan with dietary supplements and herbs and nutrition. And it helps to map out what you should do personally to correct those issues. Oh, I love that. And, wow. and I know you work with like things like peptides and, and okay. So what does one of those run for? Because I know people are going to be asking me, but what is it called? It's a couple hundred bucks. That's oh, it. Wow. Wow. That's not yeah. bad at all. I'm, I, I mean, thought it was going to be like- Depending on how big the panel is. I think it can go up to four or 500 bucks if you want sort of the full Monty. No, but that's amazing. Oh my I want to do that. I, so tell me again, yeah, where can I do that? <laughs> that's Metabolic Code. And we'll chat after the show, but I'm going to send my dad to you. 100%. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I feel like your dad will listen to him because he looks he, like he, he like looks like a young a George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're a George Clooney for sure. But thank you so much for everything. We oh, really welcome. appreciate yeah. you. Great talk. Thank you. thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.